Welcome to the Well Stylist Podcast, a podcast for women who want to elevate their thinking, increase their confidence with money, and discover the path to building a meaningful business. I'm your host, Natasha Campbell, founder of WellStylist.com, money expert, speaker, and coach. I'm not your average money expert. That's because I aim to do more than to teach you how to budget and save for your audacious goals. Women like you come to me to live happier, financially healthier, and more fulfilled in life. If you're ready to design the life that you love, then you're in the right place. Marsha is a sought-after certified financial social worker, financial educator, and finance commentator. Marsha has been recognized as a female tech leader by Digital Finance Institute for her ability to create innovative and accessible financial resources. She is also named as Gold Banking Rates Best Money Expert for 2018 in the Building Net Worth category. Marsha is also the official brand ambassador for FICO. Since the inception of the finance bar, Marsha's zest for financial wellness has allowed her to serve as a personal finance expert for social, educational, and beauty outlets around the world, including Google, Forbes, Essence, State Farm, OWN for the Ayana Fix My Life show, Black Enterprise, and many more. Marsha is a true force in the personal finance space and has been notably recognized for her unyielding abilities to connect off and online with individuals who are craving financial guidance. Hello, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in on the Love Flowers podcast. I have someone on our call who I admire. She operates in excellence with the finance bar. Marsha, could you go ahead and introduce yourself really quick to our audience? Hi, everyone. It's Marsha here at the finance bar. I'm so excited to be speaking to everyone today. Yes, and so I've connected with Marsha before. I think I've um, we've known each other for a few years now. <laughs> yeah, because um, yeah, we're both in the financial yeah for in the financial literacy space, and you have always been someone that I do look up to. Um, your brand is beautiful. The movement that you have, it's beautiful. What um, made you decide to launch into the personal finance arena? to, you know, be doing what you're doing and helping women actually design a financial lifestyle that they love? Well, I've been, Natasha, in finance for over, well, in banking for over 17 years. So part of me launching into the world of personal finance is because of my background, but I think it was more so uh, when the light bulb started to go off as I had, I had two parents that were both laid off from their jobs. They had been there for over 20 years, my best friend was laid off from her job. Uh, back in 2003, my husband was overseas in Afghanistan, and this was, you know, during the time where there was no FaceTiming. You didn't really know when you would hear from your soldier. You know, it could be days, it could be weeks. But uh, for me, a lot of those moments just made me have more awareness around how financially prepared are the people that I love the most, you know, when, when life really hits them, you know, like the layoffs. And then for me, you know, always thinking in the back of my head, what if something really happens to my husband, something drastic happens? And when he was overseas, we're in the process of getting a home built. So our son was really young then. And so I was still working in the finance industry. And then 
I always had like this little itch to do something uh, personal finance related, Natasha. So I started a nonprofit. It was just financial empowerment at the time. I didn't even really have any sort of branding name. And I taught, you know, local personal finance classes and I would meet with people that I knew needed help, no exchange of money at all. And then I just wanted to do more of that. Um, And then in Charlotte, North Carolina, food trucks became a really huge thing here. And then it was fashion trucks. So one day I said, if they can put food and fashion on a bus or a truck, I can put finance on a bus. And that was really the start of the finance bar. So, you know, I had purchased a school bus, had a bus outfitted to really roll around and meet people where they are on their finance journey, literally. Then I opened my coaching suite and my members club, and that's really just how I took off, Natasha. So it really wasn't like this long, burning feeling of wanting to be in the finance space. It was just like all of these little taps on my shoulder over the years that I've had just so much experience in this space. And that's really how I got started. Wow. I love that. And I love the finance bar, the bus. (laughs) You have a name for your bus. Could you share that with us? Maggie. Maggie Maggie. is the name. (laughs) Yes. Maggie is the name of the bus. Yeah, Maggie yes, is my, my grandmother's that. name. My grandmother's oh, name wow. is Margaret. My grandmother's name is Margaret, and my mom's name, my mom was named after my grandmother, and the same, uh, her name is Margaret as well. So the short version, the nickname for Margaret is Maggie. So that's why I named it after my grandmother and my mom. <laughs> so oh, the name wow. A lot of people don't realize that. They think it's just something I really made up, but that's really where I got the name from. I did not know that. Thank you. Yeah. For so I learned something new today as well. Right. Wow. And I love that, the message of meeting mm-hmm. people where they are in their financial journey because personal finance is very personal. So everyone is on their different path. You know, they're trying to reach that financial goal. And so by you having that in place, you know, the bus, meeting them where they're at, I think that is very beneficial it shows, you know, you're reaching out to support the people within the community, mm-hmm. and that's awesome. And you Thank are you. also a FICO ambassador, <laughs> aren't you? Yes. Could you I share am. what that means? <laughs> well, FICO has, for a lot of people, uh, Natasha, there's a confusion with who what FICO does. You know, a lot of people believe that FICO is one of the credit bureaus. FICO is not a credit bureau. FICO is a company that analyzes all of the numbers for the, the three main credit bureaus. So they, they, are, they do more analytics. Uh, a lot of the work that FICO does is not even related to finance. Like they do a lot of stuff with airlines, like calculating numbers about, like, how many flights can go out at a certain time. So they're a very huge company. The work that I do for them really surfaces around making everyday consumers aware of that, the difference in who they are compared to credit bureaus what the credit scores mean that they calculate compared to a lot of different educational credit scores. So as an example, without calling any names, a lot of companies provide educational credit scores. And what that simply means is that you give them their email address, they in exchange give you an educational credit score and some resources, you know, to read over and it may provide you with information who may be the best credit card companies for you based on the educational credit score that you have. And all of that is really great information. However, a FICO score is the only score that's used for 90% of lenders, meaning that if you go to try to get a mortgage, 
they're only going to use a FICO score. They'll never take an educational credit score because it doesn't calculate all of the data. So that is the work that I do for FICO is just to really educate their audience, my audience, a lot of different audiences around what is the difference because I have so many people that, you know, come to me or tell me that, listen, I tried to go get a car and I told them whatever my educational credit score was, and they was like, yeah, no, that's not your real credit score and we can't use that. So there's just a lot of confusion in the industry around what numbers you should be using. So I work with FICO um, to really help them spread that word. That's awesome. That's great. Now, what is a credit score? Now that we're talking uh, credit, about credit, what is? Yeah, credit score, Natasha, you know, simply put for a lot of people not to give the textbook version of it, of uh-huh. credit score is basically your financial reputation based on the debt that you have. How well are you paying on the debt? How well are you balancing credit? How are you able to do all of that? And based on the, the different, the five factors of a credit score, how well do you do in those in that area? And then those numbers are calculated, and that becomes what your FICO score is. So opposed to giving the textbook version, which is mm-hmm. the, a, a, FICO, <laughs> you know, a credit score is a three-digit analytical number that no one understands that verbiage. It's simply what, it, what is your financial reputation based on the debt that you have how well you are paying that debt, and how well you are managing your debt. In a nutshell, that's what a real credit score is. So now what is considered a good credit score? Because I often find um, a lot of conversation around this. So what is considered a good credit score? A good credit score, I would say, Natasha, to be considered as good would be in the 700, you know, 750, mm-hmm. you know, um, wheel of factors, um, anything beyond that, it's like exceptional credit. Uh, but, you know, one thing that I will say is that if you're not at a 700 credit score, because I never want people to feel defeated, if you typically have a credit score around 650, 675, that doesn't kick you out of getting, you know, offers for things that you want. However, you will be subject to having, you know, a higher interest rate opposed to someone that, that's in the 700s where they're able to say, you know, based on my credit score, I should be able to receive the lowest interest rates possible. But a good credit score would fall between like the 700, 725, 750 ranges. Okay. And the scores are for FICO between 300 to 850. That is correct. correct. Between 300 and 850. Okay. That is correct. And so on that scale, you know, mm-hmm. what I simply tell uh, individuals is that the higher the score, the lower the risk. You know, it's not okay. that you're a good or bad customer. It's just, it's just like you said, they're an analytical company, so they're looking at the risk. So are you able to repay the debt, and mm-hmm. what is the risk associated with that? And so, That's like it. you were saying, if you're over that 700, that just means that you would qualify for the better rate, you that know, and correct. if you're – if you have a lower score, you know, that just leaves you, I say, more vulnerable to having a higher mm-hmm. rate on credit cards. And that's, you know, if you qualify for the program because I know that a lot of lenders have their own strategy. I used to work in the mortgage broker industry and then also being a real estate agent. So, you know, each lender has their own lending decisions that they have to make. And they want to know, you know, what is the level of risk associated with the product that they're giving you. You're not good or a bad customer. It's just simply a lending decision that they have to make. You know, you Mm want to make sure that you're protecting your assets. If you were a lender and giving out financial resources, you want to make sure you're 
able to get repaid back. And I always tell people that your score also changes over time. And I'll give you my real-life example. Um, recently, our mortgage had switched to another lender. Now, our scores were in the 800s, and it dropped. Mm-hmm. I mean, I couldn't believe how much it dropped. I think it went down to like 745 just right. because of the wow. transfer. Cause they, yeah, because it showed that the mortgage company, and they had a notation in there, that the um, mortgage was transferred to another lender and the account was closed. And not until about maybe it took them about four months with transferring to a new lender to update our to update our credit score, you know, to show that we had been making payments and what so have to do. So I just want people, you know, to keep that in mind that as the information in your report changes, so will your credit, you know, score based on what's in your report. Now, right. how can someone actually get access to their to their credit report for free? Well, your credit report, Natasha, um, annually individuals can go to annualcreditreport.com to get their report. But that doesn't necessarily give you your score for free. Uh, so I can't remember the actual fee to get the actual score for free, but I know you can go there once a year to actually get your report. Um, from the three major credit bureaus. Now, I'm not familiar with a way to get your actual FICO score for free, and I honestly don't think there is a way to get it for 100% free um, unless you try to, again, go through different, you know, educational credit scoring companies to get that information. But you never want to rely on that. Again, great information, but if you're really depending on your credit score, and as you mentioned, Natasha, you and your husband have made great strides with your credit in the 800s, so I applaud you for that. You never want to be taken um, off guard. So even if someone, if your credit is really important to you, I, I look at finances just as we view everything else, Natasha. If you want to have a gym membership, some people pay as low as $25 a month to be able to hit the gym when they want to. If your credit is that important to you or your finances, then there are so many ways to be able to access your credit score or your FICO score because a lot of financial institutions offer that product. And it's like, some people, $9.99, depends on who your bank is, and you can get that score. But i also say this, is that a lot of credit card companies offer your, your credit score each month, and you're able to either see it in your banking statements or if you go online, it will tell you that you have a, a FICO score available to be able to view for free. So my advice would be to tell anyone or that I would share with anyone is to first check with your financial institution to see if they offer like a credit monitoring system that you can sign up to, and some of them may offer it for free to you or even a very low price. But secondly, check your credit cards just to see if they offer that um, as a product to you each month for free. So there are so many different ways now that you can access it to, whereas in the past there was no way to access your actual FICO score for free. And I can attest to that because one of the cards that we have as part of the benefit, it allows us mm-hmm. to get access to our FICO credit score um, so that right. we can log in online and we have that as a tool. And it also um, yeah. there's a credit monitoring system that's in place. So I love that because, you know, being financial, I want to be able to check and see how my financial health is. Just, again, to share how they can get the free credit report, they can go to annualcreditreport.com, and that mm-hmm. would give them one copy of all three bureaus, and that's every 12 months. That's right. Where they every can get that free. Annually. And look for any errors. You know, that's one of the common things that you want to make sure that you're looking for any errors on your credit report. 
with that being said, how are the FICORs calculated? I think that's really important for the audience and the listeners to understand. Yeah, well, there are five factors, uh, Natasha. So the five factors used in a FICO credit score is your payment history, and your payment history is just very simply, everyone, how well are you paying your bills? Are you making your payments on time? Are you late? And when I say late, I don't mean because I had a client that misunderstood this. She really believed that if you didn't make your payment, Natasha, on the actual due date, that it's going to hurt your credit. And it's not. When I Late is still late if it's paid after the due date and you may accrue a late fee. But it's reported to the credit bureau once that is reported as being 30 days from what your due date was. That is what payment history means, just how well are you paying your bills and are you paying them on time, all the time. Mm-hmm. If they find themselves in a compromising situation, I know for me when I was starting out, you know, I was looking for a lot of resources and I was going through a financial hardship. They can mm-hmm. actually contact their creditors and see if there's a program that they can qualify for if they're, you know, unable to make their payments on time. And like I said, I have done this personally when I first started my journey, and that has been something that has been very beneficial. Of course, when you call, you want to be very kind and polite. (laughs) You know, you want to be able to be supported, and you want to Mm -hmm. find out what resources are available to you. So if anyone, you know, finds themselves in that situation, don't think that, just not making a payment is an option. There are other resources, you know, that could be available to you if you would just, you know, call, contact your creditors and let them know, this is what I'm going through. Do you have something to support me, you know, until I'm able to make payments or whatever your circumstances is, you know, but I just wanted to touch on that with the payment history because it's such a large chunk of your credit score. That's 35% of your credit score. That's huge. You know, the utilization and the payment history makes up a lot of the credit score. (laughs) And so Absolutely. I just And not only that hmm. not only that, Natasha, if you're in a bind, but for a lot of people they simply, you know, have some bills that are they just don't fall at the right time of the month for the mm-hmm. due So sometimes it could be as simple as and a lot of this you can do online, you can just request a due date change. And for a lot of people that, that is the fix yeah, I have as well. And for a lot, especially as an entrepreneur, you're like, yeah, don't, don't, let's not do anything. And so, like, the very end, the very end, end, like, ma'am, what day, what day? The very last day that you can do it is the day that I need, okay? So that is another thing for everyone to remember is that you don't, even if you're not in necessarily a bind, but you find yourself having to juggle things like when can I pay this, Call them to say, you know what, this pay period I want to designate to making payments on these specific expenses, and for the rest I want to do here. Call your company to see how you can negotiate that. Now, it may not be all, like I know for like utility companies, a lot of times you can't fluctuate that because they have specific, you know, rolling out days of when statements go out. But for all of those other things, try your best to see how you can make, whenever your bills are due, work for your specific pay date. That's another thing to remember when it comes to maximizing how you can just, you know, make your score better from a payment Mm -hmm. history aspect. Yes. Yes. And then you Mm -hmm. were talking about the utilization. Could you uh, share with us what that is, what that means? Yep. Yep. The credit credit utilization is another factor that um, is very important in the credit score model, and that is 
30%. So that's another one, Natasha, that, that weighs very heavily. And a credit utilization basically looks at how much of your available credit you're using. So as an example, let's go, you know, really lowball. If you get a credit card that has an available credit limit of $1,000, you never want to use, and I even, a lot of people will say you never want to use above 30% of your available credit limit, I always say don't use more than 20% of your available credit. Um, available credit. Now, if you have several credit cards, you know, you still want to use that rule of thumb because the more available credit that you use at any given time, I call it like it sends warning signs to the credit bureau that you are surviving off of credit. And that's never a good sign. Because if you're surviving off of credit, that means, like, how is this consumer going to pay off each of these balances within, you know, by their statement date? Because that's what that's where we want to be with our credit. If you charge something, you want to be able to pay it off the next time your statement comes. So that's why that's weighed so heavily because it tells it kind of tells the credit bureau a lot of things that they want to know. Are you using credit when you only need it, or are you using it to actually survive off of? So, again, simply – it just looks at how much of your available credit you're actually using. And I know with the credit utilization, if someone has over that 30%, mm-hmm. is there something that they can do to help them lower that credit utilization amount? Oh, absolutely. So I'll say that, you know, once you know that you're over that threshold, Natasha, I, I definitely suggest that while you're, the focus may be let me pay this credit card off, especially if you have many across a lot of different cards, just start with focusing on getting each of those balances below 30%. I'm actually working with a a client now, and that's what we're doing for her. Focus on getting that up under that because, believe it or not, that's going to help increase your score when you start to see that your balances are lower. Now, for other people, Mm -hmm. Natasha, what they use, and it's something I, I really don't suggest because I'm not a fan of moving debt to another debt to pay it off because in a lot of situations it, it just doesn't work. Is if you're offered a really good offer for a debt consolidation, you know, maybe with your bank or your credit union for a personal loan and a personal loan and you are able to consolidate, you know, some of those credit cards into a low interest personal loan, that's another option. So I definitely say number one, first try to just pay toward pay enough to decrease the utilization across the cards. And if that doesn't work for you, you're having a really hard time with doing that, seek out other options to see if a debt consolidation at a lower interest rate, because a lot of personal loans, their interest rates are much lower than what credit card interest rates are. So I think that's another great option for people that may be a little over their head, Natasha, and it's just harder for them Uh to get get up under that utilization number that they need to be at. One of the things yeah. that I know that I've personally done is that I've raised my credit limit. Um, oh, that's a good And one. I yeah. say to use this with caution, though. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. you yeah. know, if you're going to use that strategy because a uh, credit card is not a savings account, you know, it's there to support you, like for us, you know, purchasing a home, large purchases. And so just understanding the value of your credit and, you know, what are you using it for. But for us, we um, decided to 
raise our credit utilization on one particular card, and that lowered our utilization amount as well. So that's just one of, you know, one of the many strategies that we've shared. And then I know the next component is the length of credit history, which is about 15% of your credit score. That's your credit age, and it just looks at the average age of your open credit account, Natasha. So yes. for, and what that, what that means is a lot of people may say, you know, I've had this credit card for years, but it's been a really pain for me to, I use it and I'm finally paying it off and I want to just close it and I want to just not see it ever again. Well, the truth is you don't want to close the card because you want that credit history to show history. that you were able, mm-hmm. yes, that you were able to pay and pay it well over several years. So it's not that you want to get rid of it. Now, what I will say is that credit age is 15%, which is not super low, but if you're tempted to use that card again to get yourself back in the same situation, I 100% agree that you should cut it up and you should close it if it's going to be that challenging for you. However, if you are disciplined enough, I would suggest that you keep those cards so that your credit age and your credit history can still reflect and that car can just still say it's open. And if your your habits are better now, because credit is not the enemy. The misuse of credit is where we get in trouble. So if you're able to still use those that aged credit card, use it, immediately pay it off within one month's time or when a statement comes, you'll see that it will help your credit score increase even faster. So it's just basically yeah. saying, well, how, how aged are you? How good are you at playing this credit game? That's really what credit age or credit history really means. Yes, yes. Yeah. And one of the things which you talked when you shared cutting it up, I've even put my credit cards in a, in a baggie and put it in the freezer. And so that (laughs) allows me to say, no, no, no. And then even if I decide to use it, I have to thaw it out, which gives me a time, you know, time to process whether this purchase is something I need, I want, or, you know, you know, it gives me time to reflect, really. So it's like that reflection piece. It's like a trigger, you know, hey, you're defrosting your credit cards. What are you trying to buy? Is this something that's right. in alignment with your goals? You know, so mm-hmm. the length of credit history is important. And I know through my journey, I've had one particular card that I hadn't used in years. And so mm-hmm. they took my card from through a few hundreds. And so I was shocked. I was like, what? What happened? I'm surprised they didn't close this. So what Mm -hmm. I decided to do, because I've had this car for a long time, is to use one of our bills, like our cable bill. And Mm -hmm. it has activity on our account, so they know that it's still being used, but it's being paid off. So, you know, if there's an account that you really don't want to use, but you want to show some activity, you know, I would say finding a small bill that, you know, you can easily pay off each month. For us, that happens to be, you know, using our cable bill. Gets charged on there automatically, and then we pay it off. So at least there's some kind of activity going on, because that was kind of drastic for me. I felt hurt in my feelings when I got that letter, you know. (laughs) And and then the next thing was the credit mix. We talked about payment history, which is 35%, the amount owed, which is 30%, and then the length of credit history, which is 15%. And now we have the credit mix. Could you explain what that credit mix is just simply, you know, the mix of your various credit types, uh, Natasha, which is this is this one is a little bit tricky, I would say, because for many people, it can be very discouraging to feel like and especially if you are new to credit. So maybe, you know, younger audiences, or if you've had challenges in the past with credit, and you are at a point where you're starting over. 
uh, different types of credit. It's just a mix of credit. So as an example, mm-hmm. installment loans, do you have an installment loan? Okay, check mark. Do you have credit cards? Check mark. Do you have a mortgage? Check mark. Do you have an auto loan? Check mark. And what that does is it takes a calculation of that to see how well you're able to balance all of those different types of credit. Now, for some people, they never want a mortgage. So they're like, okay, well, I guess my credit score will, will never raise beyond a certain point. But that not, that's not necessarily true because different types of credit is still only 10% of your um, total calculation of your credit score, still not very bad at all. But just in a nutshell, it's just, you know, a, a 10% calculation of the different types of credit you have. So mortgage loans, installment loans, and installment loans could be something like a car payment. Anything you pay monthly payments on every single month and the payment is typically the same, credit cards, and then how well do you balance all of those things? It's just a mix of credit. Yeah, yeah. it's like a gumbo. Yeah, if you have gumbo and you're putting in, you know, rice and shrimp and crab legs and all this stuff, it's just like, how well does all of this taste and how well did you do with all of it? And with, with your recipe, it's just a mix of all of the various types of credit that you have. And that does not mean that you should go out and figure out, well, how do I get a car payment in my car in my name? And how do I get a mortgage? And I need, I need a credit card. That's not what you need to do. It's still only 10% of your overall credit score. So just make sure you're being very careful as you navigate those waters. Very true. And then there's yeah. the new credit, which is 10% of your credit score. New credit. And you know what, Natasha, the easiest way to look, look, think about this is the number of inquiries on your credit. So if I try to go to a car dealership, everyone, to get a car, and they're like, no, Ms. Barnes, we're not, we're not able to qualify you, you have to always look at that um, as if that's your pause button because a lot of times when we're not able to get credit at one place, we'll say, okay, well, I'll go somewhere else to try to get it. Every time someone pulls your credit report, that's an inquiry on your credit, and it looks at the number of inquiries into your entire credit history. Like how often is Marsha doing that? How often is she out looking for credit? If one person told her no, is she doing it in again? And every time that happens, it's going to lower your score bit by bit. So I think this is very important more so when it comes to um, when you're trying to get an auto loan, because I know if you go to a dealer, many dealers will pull your credit and you're like, no, that car payment and that interest rate, no. And they're like, okay, well, I'll try with another one of our vendors. And you're like, no, let's just stop there. Because every time it's pulled, it's going to pull your credit and it's going to decrease your score by a few points. It may not be drastic, but if you do that enough times, you can see a really a huge drop in your credit score. Now, I've heard before, um, you know, from other people that says, you know what, I want to start building credit, but they don't have any credit history. So what are some ways that someone can start building credit if they don't even, you know, if they don't have any credit history? Uh, I would say, you know, one, you can start with a starter loan, uh, Natasha. If you have a, a good relationship with your financial institution, many banks will give you a starter loan. It may be $500 to $1,000. And that's the way our, our son actually started to build credit. Because we knew that, you know, once he got out of college and he wanted to do things on his own, whether he had to get a car, whether he had to get an apartment, they needed to see something. 
They need to see something that he, that he had something or he would be dependent on us to have to help him get everything. So a lot of financial institutions will allow you to do starter loans with them. They'll ask you how much you make, you know, check your credit and do all that good stuff. And then that's one way. Another way is you can start with a credit card. There's a lot of people that if they're not used to handling credit, they can start with a secured credit card. And a secured credit card, it allows you to only use on that card with how much you've paid on that card. So you're basically just paying towards your own money. But they still report to the credit bureau, so it's an easy way uh, with less risk if you're not used to balancing credit for you to start at least building some sort of credit. And then one thing that I actually love about uh, FICO that they're doing now, Natasha, is that they have a program where if you are, you know, younger or and you've never had credit or you've had challenges in the past, they will review how well you have banked to see if there are certain mm. products that they, that, that they can offer you. And it's not something you have to do. It does not harm your credit score. It's as simple as saying, okay, if I went into the bank, Natasha, and I said I've had challenges in the past, and they're like, okay, well, we offer this product, and we want to see, do you want to see if it's something that we can help you with? And then you give them permission. You give them permission to be able to access your bank account to see, okay, what what balance does Marsha typically keep in her account? Does she does she ever, you know, bounce any checks? Does she have overdrafts? And a lot of times, Natasha, if you don't have any of those things, they're able to offer you the product that they otherwise wouldn't have been able to offer you if you didn't opt into being able to, you know, see if that option was something viable for you. So that's another good thing that they are working on and working with a lot of lenders to offer to their customers that if you are new to credit or you've had challenges in the past, what else can they view opposed to only your credit score to see how well you are managing your money? And I think that's a great idea. Yeah, I love that idea. As you were sharing it, I'm like, what? Mm -hmm. (laughs) That is a great idea because that opens the, you know, it opens up to more people. It's a bigger opportunity for people to be able to, you know, start, building credit outside of the secure credit card and, you know, getting a credit builder loan or the starter loan. So that gives them an opportunity to actually, you know, get a product to support them on their credit journey by using something that they're already familiar with. I think that that's a great solution, and I look forward to seeing a lot of banks actually take that in because I think that that would be a game changer for a lot of people. Yeah, because for a lot of people, a starter loan just won't provide them with what they need. You know, Natasha, it may be a car, it may be, you know, a mortgage. And for some people, you know, we just had a government shutdown. And people try yes. their best to do the right things with their money, but imagine already being a little behind Natasha, and then we had a government mm-hmm. shutdown, so you didn't get paid. So now you're 30 days past due. Well, those individuals should still have a shot at getting what they need because the government shutdown is not something they call. You follow what I'm saying? So they didn't cause that mm-hmm. burden on themselves. It's not a credit mistake they made. They were just in a very tight situation, and things like that just made it worse. People have dealt with layoffs. They've dealt with uh, deaths in their family. So a lot of credit challenges don't always come from people just mismanaging their money. So I think it's great when FICO or other companies can go out and say, like, let's look at different products that we can build or Mm -hmm. partnerships that we can create with lenders to see what else can we base giving credit 
credit and you know credit options to individuals that may have otherwise not been able to have those options. So that's another great thing that they're working on that many people may be able to get assistance with in the future. I love how innovative cycle is becoming. Um, yeah. Um, yeah meeting people where they are with, you know, having solutions, practical solutions that they can actually put in place. And speaking of that, you know, what are some of the (laughs) most common mistakes that people make when it comes to credit so that when they do start building credit that they can avoid doing those things? Um, I think you, you made a really great comment earlier, Natasha. Even when someone gives you more credit, you know, based on your credit score, that you still mm-hmm. practice the same habits that you did before. Oh, yeah. Just because someone offers mm-hmm. you credit or offers you to get a loan doesn't mean that you have to take it because the better your credit score is, the more offers you're going to get in the mail. That's just how this goes. And I think that's where a lot of mistakes are made, not because um, individuals aren't able to make the minimum payments on the credit cards or loans that they may take, but once you get so many minimum payments, you'll begin to see your paycheck go out the door. And then it, it becomes mm-hmm. like a it becomes a cycle, and then you're just too far over your head, and you can't catch up, and you can't catch your breath because these interest rates are just making the balances grow and grow and grow even more each day. So I think a common mistake is that we take credit and we use it when we really don't even need to use it, Natasha. You know, it's just being used for everything. And then you know, I think a lot another mistake is we get to a point we just simply don't care. You know, for some people, it's like, okay, I got the house, I got the car, I just do whatever. I don't really care about my credit anymore. Credit is huge now. You know, there are some employers that check your credit. You, a lot of times yeah. to get certain insurance, the best insurance policies, they check your credit. So it's much more than just going to get a loan or getting credit cards. It has, a you know, a deeper association. As I said at the top of our call, it is your financial reputation. So I would say protected just as you would anything else when it comes to co-signing for individuals, when it comes to, as you mentioned, monitoring your credit score and looking at your report to make sure there's not any fraudulent activity. It is extremely important to your overall financial health. You touched on something when you said treat, you know, being cautious about how you treat your credit cards because I feel personally that some people, you know, treat it as free money or as a savings account. And your right. credit card is not your savings account. You still have to no. repay that back. And yes, so, you, you know, <laughs> making sure that you have good credit habits, you know, good habits. And it's all about building the muscle. I know when I first started, mm-hmm. I made a lot of mistakes with my credit history. I probably had every credit score known to FICO. <laughs> but now right. I'm at the safe place, <laughs> I can say. I I can say now that I feel that I am at a safe place, and credit just gives you leverage. You know, I can't prove it, but I know with our car insurance, it's extremely low, and people are asking, how did your insurance get so low? I'm like, I don't know, but I think that they did use, you know, credit as one of the tools um, to base their rates on. So, you know, you, again, the higher your score, the lower the risk. And so it gives you lower flexibility, more leverage when it comes to your credit score and, um, Mm -hmm. well, with your credit in general. And just making sure that you're focusing on building good habits, you know, with your credit, it's focusing on building good habits. So what are some good habits that you think that should be put in place when you're using your credit? I said this one before, don't try your best not to use more credit than you need. That's very Mm -hmm. important to remember. Some people will say that, you know, cash is king. Cash really is still king. As you mentioned, 
credit does give you leverage. You know, flat tire, okay, you go pay hundred and something dollars for a flat tire. You, you're likely you'd likely you can pay that in the you know in a month. Holiday shopping, if you feel like you're going to go holiday shopping and spend up a couple of thousand dollars, I don't recommend that because the holidays go by so quick and those statements come really fast after the holidays. So I just think yeah. a really great rule of thumb when it comes to credit, Natasha, you're hit over the weekend. Our, our dryer went out. So there are some instances where you're like, okay, I don't want to just pull $1,000 out of our savings account to go get a new dryer, but you have to make sense of it. You know, or do you feel uh-huh. yourself using credit, as you said, free money, and it just feels good to go shopping? Or is it moments in life that you really need it and you would like to have that leverage to be able to do it? So I think the, the best habits when it comes to credit is making sure that, number one, you're only using it when you need it, and number two, this goes with credit, assessing your budget to say, okay, if I do use it this time, where will money come, this amount, this total amount that I'm charging, where will it come from for me to be able to pay off this statement within the next 30 days, whatever that billing cycle is? So I think those are the two things. Number one, only use it as needed. And number two, make sure that you're carefully assessing your budget to say that I can use it at this moment, but at this same time next month, will I have this amount of money somewhere that will allow me to pay this balance off in full? That's a great point. And I was going to, you know, bring that topic up with the budget because, yeah. you know, having that conversation with your money, knowing where your money is going, we actually keep our budget on our refrigerator. So our kids nice. see the budget. You know, my husband sees the budget, and I updated it, I updated it every week. And so my children know before they ask, they look, and they're like, how much fun? money we have left for this week okay I can go ask no, my daughter she bought something she's like oh mom we got this much you know this amount of money left so can we go and do this and that but it helps to train them that we are following a roadmap. we have our financial goals listed on there and based on you know what comes in this is the roadmap that we want to use so we're always checking in with our money so like you were saying you know making sure that you understand where it's going to come from because it still has to be repaid as, you know, a great habit to have in place and asking yourself, is this something that I want or I need? Um, Because, you know, talking about holiday shopping, I always say that Christmas comes around, all the holidays, they're on the calendar for the whole year. So we have enough time to prepare for it in advance so we're not, you know, getting ourselves into debt. And so I enjoy, um, I know a lot of credit unions have like the Christmas fund where you can deposit money until about November where they'll give the money to you. So that could be an option so that you're not getting into debt around the holidays. You know, it's something that you can set aside. If it's something that you can do within your budget plan and it leaves you not feeling stressed and overwhelmed when the holiday comes because you do have the resources to buy what it is, you know, that you want and desire. Very good points. Now, I've gotten this question before, and I wanted to pose pose this question to you. Does getting married affect your credit? (laughs) No, it does not. It does not. I think a lot of people have that question. It wasn't a fair question, but I think the simplest Mm -hmm. way that you can um, think about this question, Natasha, is that when you you get married, no one says, you know, when you sign on your marriage license, no one says, okay, now what's your your social security number and what's yours? And let's put the two together. Mm -hmm. No, No one asks you that question. No one asks you that question at all. However, if you and your spouse are on some type of loan together and, you know, uh-huh. it's not paid and you're, you both share that, then, of course, it can 
definitely affect your create your uh, score. But just for the sanity of or the sake of you getting married, that doesn't change your credit score at all. You don't adapt your spouse's um, score or what they owe or any of that good stuff. So, no, getting married does not affect your, your credit or your credit score. Yeah, that's that's a common myth that people believe. Common you know? myth, um, yeah. Yes, because your spouse's credit pass, you know, is part of their credit history. And then, like right. you said, when you purchase something together jointly, both of you are applying, and it will be on both of your credit report, like a mortgage or, you know, a credit card um, or a car loan. It'll be on both of your credit history. Um, that's mm-hmm. probably a perfect opportunity to have those money conversations, too, in a relationship because I often say that, you know, it's really not the money that's the issue is the communication around money that becomes the issue. Sometimes it is money, but most of the time it's the communication around money. And so making, you know, having those healthy habits of like a money date night or, you know, the right. financial Fridays. At this point, we do a family financial Friday. We're like, everybody's yeah. coming in. Everybody's on the same page. <laughs> like, I need to let my, you know, I need my son to understand that there is no game going on, you know, for this month. Yeah. And this is the yeah. reason why I'm not purchasing any more gaming systems for you, you know, or um, video games because he's he loves to game with his dad. So it's just a great way to have that open conversation, that open communication around money. And I, like I said, it's to me, money is like building a muscle. And so you start, right. to, you know, you start with one habit and then you pick up another as you gain more confidence with your money. And so having that open money date and communication, I think it's really important in any relationship, you know, especially if it's going to be a long-term relationship. relationship that you're in. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So what are some tools that, someone can use to help them manage their their you know credit account i would i would say tools that you could use uh number one we, we talked about the different methods to get your credit score natasha um if you have again if you're a financial institution that you bank with if they have anything that offers a credit monitoring i would say that's very important because you typically get an email or a ping or you know they're so sophisticated in what they do now you can give them your number your cell phone number, they'll mm-hmm. text you if something is going on. So, you know, you mentioned having having money dates, you know, weekly. I suggest that people maybe quarterly do, like, credit check-ins. Like, just review your credit mm-hmm. report, make sure everything's okay. And it's another great way to say if you're trying to pay down debt or anything like that, Natasha, what do you see your debts moving on your credit report? Like, are they, like, those balances, are they moving? So it's a really good checkpoint to be able to say, okay, we may do money dates each week, but then quarterly we go in, me and my spouse, or if you, if you don't have a spouse, just yourself, you go in and you just review your credit report for different errors, and it's a good way to say, you know what, I'm proud of myself. I used to have 30-day lates all yeah. the time. I, don't, I haven't had those for the last three months. I see that this debt has decreased some. It's a really great way to stay motivated. So not necessarily tools or systems, but you'll be be amazed at just how checking your credit every three months, taking that report and printing it out and reviewing it to see, compare it to where you used to be and how you used to handle credit to where you are now, it is a great way for you to stay motivated and to be inspired by your progress. Because sometimes you mm. need to get that motivation and to be inspired by our progress, not necessarily, oh, my gosh, sure. I'm not at 700 yet, I'm not at 750 yet. That's not always the goal. The goal is are you making the correct credit 
taking the steps to have better your health of the, your credit being better and what your habits are opposed to trying to chase a 700 and a 750 credit score. Because for a lot of individuals, Natasha, they may never want to have a better score unless they need something. So I want to get a house. Oh, can you sign me a credit repair person? So it's like you're, if you want to get a credit, do people, hire someone for credit repair, great. But credit repair doesn't change your credit habits. It just That's doesn't. It, it doesn't. Unless your habits are in the right place, credit repair doesn't fully help you at all. It may help you get what you need at the moment, but then once you have it, those habits can resurface, and then you're back in the same situation again. So I just think that That's most true. importantly, make sure that those habits are in place where you're taking time to review where you were and compare that to where what progress you are making month by month. And that's yeah. very true because those good habits will help to sustain you. Because, right. you know, I, even on my journey, I'm reminded because I've done some certain things consistently, you know, I'm like, oh, wait a minute, pause. Like this right. doesn't feel right. Something feels awkward right. because that's out of my norm because after you start developing those good habits, you start to notice when it's not right. You're like, well, wait a minute, yeah. what? No, this is yeah, not right. right. Like you start to check in your you know, check in with yourself, and so having those good habits helped you to build that good credit history. That's but it's right. all about building, you know, those healthy habits. You want to make sure you're having a healthy relationship with your money, not a quick fix. Because I've seen it That's too, right. where people are just looking for a quick fix to buy a home, you know, a That's quick right. fix to get the loan, a quick fix to get that, and then they find themselves back into the same situation um, that yep. they're in. Usually there's a gap, and that gap is the habits, you know, the habit, right. having those healthy habits um, in place. So, Marsha, how can the listeners get connected to you, to get to learn more about you, your community, what you're doing, your uh, membership group? Could you share that with uh, the community? Absolutely. So my, the website is thefinancebar.com, and on my website you can find all the information that Natasha was just speaking of, the members club about uh, my mobile bus, about coaching, about everywhere that I'm typically speaking at, about any partnerships with Vice. Well, if you want to learn more about credit, things that I'm doing for them, you can find all the information there and then across Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at the Finance Bar as well. Thank you so much, Marsha. You've shared a ton of resources, a ton of practical strategies that the listeners can put into place to help them, you know, on their credit journey. <laughs> it's yeah. truly an honor to have you share your voice and um, congratulations on your FICO, being a FICO ambassador. That's truly amazing. Oh, thank you so much. Um, I appreciate that. <laughs> so you can follow Marsha. I'll uh, have all of the show notes and, you know, where where she can be found, her website and all her information below so that you can get connected to her, learn more about what she's doing out in the community and how to improve your financial journey. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you love this episode, make sure you subscribe so you don't miss a thing. I'd love to get to know you and hear all about your passions, dreams, and how this podcast has helped you. So please be sure to leave me a review. For more beyond this podcast, visit me at wealthstylist.com to choose your own adventure. This includes joining my free global community, The Wealth Circle, to read the latest on my blog, and to connect with me on social media. 
at Wealth Stylist. Thank you again for tuning in to the Wealth Stylist Podcast.